0: Wandering Journo and Stories That Matter studios, I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, the podcast that takes you on an audio journey highlighting a different slice of Australian life each episode. Buckle up to meet a great array of ordinary, everyday, incredible Australians. This podcast is brought to you by DM Podcasts, part of Diamantina Media, with more than 25 million downloads for a range of shows such as The Batuta Advocate and Chat 10 Looks 3. Streets of Your Town podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on whose land this story was gathered. I acknowledge that for tens of thousands of years our First Nations people have walked this country and shared stories on this great land down under and I walk in their footsteps today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Many people have heard of the Torres Strait Islands at the northern tip of Australia, but know little about this archipelago paradise that plays such a crucial part in Queensland's history and future. The Queensland Museum is bringing a touch of the beauty and complexity of the Torres Strait to Brisbane until the end of April 2022, giving city people a rare glimpse of these remote islands in the exhibition Island Futures – What lies ahead for Zenith Kess? From the tip of Cape York to the borders of Papua New Guinea and Indonesia, Zenath Kes, or the Torres Strait, covers an area of more than 200 islands, over 48,000 square kilometres. Today, on Streets of Your Town, Exhibition co-curator and proud Torres Strait Islander, Rihanna Patrick, guides us through the exhibition and pivotal moments in the nation's history. Rihanna and her co-curator, Imelda Miller, overcame the challenges of covid by bringing a team together in a Brisbane park to create the vision for the exhibit, where they could all socially distance and safely tell their cultural stories of significance. She also tells how they may need to update the display as they await the result of a pivotal court challenge by the Torres Strait 8, seeking justice for today's crisis on the islands around climate change and rising sea levels. Well, let's have a wander through. This is amazing. You're one of the curators of this, is that
1: Yes, co-curator, so I worked with Imelda Miller, a South Sea Islander woman who has been um, pretty much the person that's looked after the Torres Strait collection. Here she looks after the Torres Strait and Pacific collections. And so it was just beautiful that we had known each other for a very long time and then to actually work together was just another level of, of trying to get very complex things down to maybe 50 or 100 words and being really mindful of the words that were being used, and the way that we wanted to convey certain things. And that's what we are trying to show, that we might seem sort of like Torres Strait Islander is a very generic term. Placing it with the words Kest and explaining what Kest means, which is Torres Strait, but it's an acronym that came up. And so there's all information about where those parts of that word come from and um, what parts of language they come from. Um, acknowledging, I guess, all of the um, nations that we have in Torres Strait and the five cluster groups, which is you know is is part of the flag. You know that's represented on our flag, and to have this big map where we actually You could see how spread out we are between the tip of Cape York and Papua New Guinea. After World War II, Australia had its first climate migrants and there were seven families from Saibai that left, uh, came down on luggers to settle after getting permission from the traditional owners um, at the tip of Cape York to create a community when they were inundated with water. There was a lot of mosquitoes, um, there was a lot of disease, there was a lot happening on the island and so these families decided to leave to find somewhere else. So that first relocation of an island being inundated by water um, and people feeling like they needed to move has already happened and so this has been a conversation I guess rising seas for many decades in the Torres Strait it's not just recently as we've heard a bit
0: more on the media but it's been decades Yeah,
1: and I Mm. guess it was also important for me to have the proper traditional names for the islands too because a lot of people know them by their English you know the English Mm. words for the islands but really uh, it was nice to bring in what their traditional names are and the way that people call them and, and how they're known and, and then just having the English underneath for people to understand where we're talking about. Can you tell
0: us some of these beautiful names so that we can hear them? It's so lovely hearing them spoken isn't it? Yes
1: yeah, so you've got Purma which is Coconut Island, Water Bear, which is Sioux Island, Mastig, which is York Island, Ugar which is Stephen Island, Erub, which is Darnley Island Mer. That's a long way away, Arab looks like it's a long look, way away. <laughs> when you look at Eroob Eruben um, Mer, that's pretty much where the Great Barrier Reef starts. Oh, right. So it's right at the top there. And then Ugar is kind of out by itself, and it's probably one of the smaller islands. There's probably about 30 people or so. It's kind of one family that lives there. But it's, yeah, it's just so diverse and I guess you wouldn't realise that Boigu, Duan and Saibai are very close to the coast of Papua New Guinea. And Lovely. there's a bit more history of that as we go into the exhibition of kind of talking about particularly those three islands and a history that exists that they fought against as well. And even
0: um, Thursday Island I see here, a lot of people I think have heard of Thursday Island, one of the bigger islands, yes? Yeah. But there are other, like there's a Wednesday Island and a Friday Island and all there's sorts of things. There's heaps of islands, you know, and
1: I think that's the thing is that there's over 200 islands Mm -hmm. but there are 18 communities so it's just I guess showing that it's not just Thursday Island and people think they, you know, oh I went to the Torres Strait, where did you go? Thursday Island and it's like oh that's great but it's only one representation and once you get out of there and I mean Thursday Island was the administration centre for the Torres Strait you know, during the time when people were under the Act Mm -hmm. and so it has that history Mm -hmm. uh, as well but once you start to go out to the other islands you realise it's very different (laughs) and so that's what I'm hoping is that people get a sense that even though we might seem all the same, um, there are all these regional differences with where our islands are and what they're made up of. There's language differences, there's differences in people and protocols and cultures sometimes as well that differs. So it's really important that people understand that we're not just one group of people. We have these many other groups that define us as well. If this is a film by one of our only Torres Strait Islander cinematographers, Murray Louie, and it's a film pretty much about what home means to him. And so he grew up between Townsville and Portima, um, Coconut Island, which is in the central part of the Torres Strait, and so he's put this sort of beautiful piece together which is in black and white. And they're
0: quite distinctive, Some of they're not things that we see here in Brisbane are they? <laughs> no, they're very
1: much what you see in Islander households. All so this th- weaving things from mats to beaded curtains yeah. to um, yeah. you know, um, woven things that are hanging from the ceiling to necklaces to beaded beaded works, uh, all of those sorts of things are things that you regularly see in Islander homes no matter where they are in Australia and so it was just really lovely to see him kind of have that connection with his mum but also to include a little bit of himself in this too and he loves working in black and white and I think his black and white work is something when he was a film student I really loved Um, and so I was really happy that he kind of chose to do bits and pieces, some in colour and then some in black and white, because I think that's really his forte. But and the singing in
0: this is also quite special as well. Isn't oh, it?
1: It? it's my auntie singing this particular song, which goes with this story, and. It's quite eerie that when the museum is closed and you're, you're sitting here at the end of the day, uh, you can hear her singing to you through, you can just see her everywhere through the museum. So it's really lovely as well. And as people come in, it sort of gets less and less because of all the noise from other places go up. But it's quite a beautiful piece and just a, a beautiful thing to hear is her voice. <laughs> well, and singing is such a central part of Torres Strait Island culture, isn't it? It is, and I think, one of those things with our songs is that our songs evolve, people compose songs all the time, there could be a dance that goes with it as well but it's always something that contains history and it it contains story in it of where we've been or where we're going or where we find ourselves so that history is embedded in song and dance for us and it's a way of sharing that and continuing that history down the line too as others learn those songs and dances. But there's contemporary songs too so you know there's these sort of two sides of that where you have some very traditional songs and dances being created but then you've also got these contemporary songs that people are using everything that's at their disposal pretty, pretty much but it's still got that island vibe to it a lot of the time <laughs> which is really lovely to hear when you hear what's coming out of the Torres Strait versus what's sort of coming out of mainland Australia for Torres Strait Islanders living down here it's so vast and so different too.
0: Well, I mean, it totally makes sense, Rihanna. Anyone who knows your work knows your passion for music. When you had that heritage, it was almost inevitable. I think. Oh, like, completely, completely. There was no, <laughs> there was
1: no getting away from that, um, not at all. It just, yeah, it was always going to be then. It was, it was always a big part of my family. I mean, my dad had a band. Like most Islanders, had bands, and so I grew up watching my dad do covers at the, you know, sort of the local events around town, and Beautiful. Um, yeah, it was always central place, and yeah. It's It's just, there's just something about that that... Mm -hmm. I really sort of love thinking back to. You know? Oh, absolutely. And can you explain, you mentioned it before, the... Zenad Kes.
0: Zenad Kes. What does that stand for?
1: So Zenad Kess, uh, it's the four winds of the Torres Strait and then Kes is a passage channel or waterway. And so it was developed by a group of cultural leaders led by the late Ephraim Barney, um, who came up with this acronym of a way of reclaiming it. And it's kind of, it's an interesting word because it's kind of becoming common use at the Mm. moment among young people but there's still conversations about whether that is the word and also Torres Strait obviously comes from the explorer that discovered in inverted commas us but I think Torres Strait Islander is even a very broad generic English Mm. western context term for us too so I think there's a lot of discussions around whether that is you know it's used in policy but there's still discussion about Mm. does that still represent too. You know it's the same with Aboriginal people I guess is that you ask them who their nation is maybe it's a language group you know who are they is a very broad question and can mean lots of different things and it can mean that's the same for Islanders too you know it can mean your village it can mean your totems it can mean the island that you come from but there are all of these things that define who you are Mm -hmm. and so it's um that connection goes quite deep yeah where were you from such a complicated (laughs) one I I was born in Brisbane but I grew up in Weeper and then when I was 10 my family moved to Brisbane permanently Mm -hmm. and so a lot of what I had in my house in Weeper and obviously being a mainland islander who's grown up on aboriginal country my entire life mm. these were some of the things that i had in my house so i had a coconut scraper and i had a lot of enamelware because that's just what we had in our house and i had all of these carved fish that used to sit near the tv as a kid and we would have lots of those we would have baskets we would have mats in our house so really this is quite reminiscent of what i grew up with and there's some sort of sneaky I don't know, I like to call them Islander Easter eggs for the Islanders playing around. But the pearl shells I put in here for Chris Bassie. So Chris Bassie designed all of the wallpaper that's in this space. Um, he's a Torres Strait Islander, Brisbane-based artist. And I just thought, you know, this room is about really exploring Indigenous futurism and what that means and in a way Torres Strait futurism mm-hmm. and that I guess the definition of Indigenous futurism which was coined by a First Nations Canadian an Indigenous Canadian academic is it's all around our connections to the past present and future and so while we're in the present we've constantly got this link to the past but we're always thinking about what is that legacy that we leave for the next generation and so when I was thinking about what the future meant for me it was yeah. super selfish in a way but I thought I would just love to have Islander designed things in my home and if it was wallpaper that would be amazing yeah. but also That's it's something beautiful. that I haven't and so yeah. the picture in the centre yeah. of grand Japan. Oh is frangipani and the piece is actually called frangipani land and that's the piece that chris developed the wallpaper from was that piece and it's because he used to listen to frangipani land by the mill sisters when he was a kid with his akka and so it kind of brings back memories of those times that he spent with his grandmother and that's what he thought of when he was thinking of what he could develop for this space but it's it's got everything island of broom uh pieces that people will recognise as a house but it's kind of I guess a physical embodiment of what I was trying Mm. to show of how we are as Indigenous people and those things that we're thinking about. The beautiful shells, Yeah. the woven
0: baskets, the, the bags as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I loved putting the pearl shells in for Chris because that's what he had in his house growing yeah. up as a kid, which I quite liked, so I wanted to include them. Mm. And so all of these pieces come from the Queensland Museum collection as well.
0: Great, and the beautiful fans as well.
1: Yes, some very old ones in there. Mm. So this is another piece that Murray Louis did for us which is based around, I guess, his mother cooking scones with her grandchildren and talking about her life. And he really liked the idea and got quite excited about the meta aspects of it, which was Islander watching Islanders because we don't often get to see ourselves represented on television. That's true. There's very few dramas um, about us involving us. We don't have any feature films apart from Marbo. We're still really underrepresented when it comes to, I guess just media in general and so we kind of liked that islanders would sit here watching islanders on a television in a lounge (laughs) room so... And so this is kind of just pictures from the collection to in the museum collection. So the collection in the museum is made up of artefacts and objects and then there's a photographic collection as well. And so it was really lovely to kind of go through the photographic collection and kind of pick some pieces because you would have photos of your family in the room. But some of these we don't have information about either so we kind of used it as a, um, as a way of that if anyone recognises anyone in these photos to come forward and let us know. but I just thought it's a really interesting time in islander life. This wedding photo, it's just beautiful. (laughs) And you can see, you know, the traditional houses and the Mm -hmm. ways that they were built, the The mother's group and and their embroidery to cooking, you know, what it was like to grow up on a very isolated island, what our grandmothers and grandfathers, Akas and Athas, what they went through, which... I don't think, you know, if you're a young person living on the mainland, it's a very different time. But as you can see, enamel bowls <laughs> represented in the photo too, where they're waiting for food to come up. So it's an amazing those things that are so consistent? And so this is kind of the corridor of ancestors, and one of the things I wanted to do was acknowledge our forefathers that came before. And so I guess it's kind of in this corner, because as you make your way down the You have your ancestors behind you coming with you Mm -hmm. and your old people coming with you. So for me it was about acknowledging that I wouldn't be here without those people that came before. But it also is showing you the five cluster groups that exist in the Torres Strait and which islands belong to those groups. So you kind of have an understanding of also how we describe ourselves um, and the ways that we identify too. But again, all of these photos came from the photographic collection, and I just love that they were carved fish. (laughs) As we come out of the Ancestors' Corner, we're kind of coming into old ways. And so I guess for me, it was important to show them although we did this then and i think that photo's from the 1930s we've got the fish from the collection in there but it's still something that is quite tangible to us and still happening so then you come into old ways which very much speaks to who we are the things that guide us the things that have been the foundation for who we are that we still are connected to that make us
0: who we are And the beautiful headdresses this is quite important isn't it and i think perhaps is maybe one of the things that When people think of Torres Strait Islands, they they might recognise that.
1: Oh, completely, and I think Mm. that Duri is one, that it's on the flag, it is a symbol across the straits, and the Duri design differs from island group to island group, cluster to cluster. It's also, I guess, for me and my understanding of it, it's a sacred object. Women don't wear it. Women don't really have a lot to do with it. It's very much a men's thing. And so I guess for me it's kind of put this one in here because it is still quite traditionally made, the one that we have in our collection, but to then show the evolution of it as we go through into the other sections that this is what it's traditionally, and then as you move through you see different versions of it coming where the stories are getting more contemporary and they're representing different things and they start to become dance machines and so it's kind of this is kind of where it starts. Um, and I guess it's important too I mean the drum is quite old and the differences in the drums too. A lot of the drums used to look like this where they had a carved head on one side and then you kind of get that egg timer looking drum which comes in a little bit later depending on where you are too because they were traded from Papua New Guinea so yeah my dad always talks about these drums looking the way that they did here because that's how he remembers those drums to be. There's a group of pieces here that came from the Haddon collection um, so AC Haddon came to the Torres Strait on three different expeditions it's the reason why we um, have a lot of our artifacts collected that are in the Cambridge Museum um, because that's where they ended up. But it's also the reason we have some, the earliest um, indigenous people on film is Torres Strait Islanders dancing, which were taken by Haddon who, is considered the modern father of anthropology and some of the techniques that he developed while he was in the Torres Strait, uh, the way that anthropologists record. So he took a wax cylinder recorder with him. He took glass photo plates with him. He recorded everything and then put them into, I think there's six volumes of work that he put together that he spent his life sorting through. And so when the Queensland Museum first opened, they were gifted some of the collection back as a way of starting their collection here. So we have some pieces Um, that are quite old from the Haddon collection. And I guess when you say old, it's a very Western concept of old. This is true. Western old. (laughs) But, you know, like this mat here, which is, you know, it's got some sort of pigment colour on it too. It's over 100 years old. So there's some really old pieces in this section. And then as you sort of come round, you start to see the evolution, I guess, of the mats of different colours coming in, the purples, different fibres. but also showing the evolution, I guess, of map making in a way too, but it's still happening. Oh, my favourite are the turtle shell hooks. Oh, I really loved these and the I really loved this coconut fibre fishing line too because it just intrigued me. Um, as a kid who grew up with a lot of coconuts in my life, <laughs> I, um, I was like, wow, I really want to know how to do that. It's that very tactile. Yeah. <laughs> and so we kind of move out of old ways And the hanging sardine scoops, which I wanted to see hung in a different way, too. Mm. um, Which I really loved because I haven't seen them displayed like that with the beaters as well. And just because they are a work of art, you know, they might be very functional in catching sardines, but they're also a work of art. Mm. We use them in dance. And so it was just important for me to see that represented in a different way that I hadn't. And so then we come into new ways, which is the coming of the light and the coming of the missionaries on July 1, 1871. And so we've got some historic photos. Um, my great grandfather was one of the first native deacons in the Torres Strait. So there's photos of his ordination in these collection that's being projected onto a wall but also showing the building of churches across the region and some of those early photos of the churches that were taken in the 1920s, 1930s and then opposite that we have a piece from Arab Arts and the Arab artists were really keen to develop something that spoke to the history that they have. So Chemus is the place where the missionaries first landed on Arab and so for most people on the island they have a connection to that story as well they have family connection to that story and they wanted to do something around that because they'd been thinking about this piece for a really long time and so it's four canoe panels so it's a driftwood canoe that was cut into panels and then they were carved by the artist and so there's a story attached to sort of where this idea came from and then the artwork in the background is done by some of the women. Um, and it was originally done on charcoal that's then been blown up to sit around these panels but they're absolutely beautiful they are. Um, mm. and sort of look like sails too They do! They come so they, there's kind of many
0: meanings and, and even the beautiful words next to it "With we are all connected, we make songs and stories and now we make art but all of us from Torres Strait, New Caledonia, Le Fou, Le Fou Le loyal, Le Loyalty Le Islands, we are all under that one roof just indicating that interconnection there
1: Yeah and so then we come over to sort of some of the coming of the light memorabilia and church objects that we have in the collection too so the woven bag up the back with the cross woven into it is from Mabiog and it's over 100 years old. Um, Some of these other pieces are close to that too and then the more contemporary depictions, I guess, of telling that story through lino print. We love a tea towel. Um, we love a shirt and a tea towel as well as, And also a commemorative plate. I see that, yeah! Um, so these things are not foreign to us either. Um, but I guess the plinth for the information panel too was a little bit based on the memorial that exists at Kemos um, on Erub where they landed. And so there's a picture of that here and the use of the cross which is at the top of that uh, memorial, which is sort of, I guess it's its well recognized that people understand what that cross, where that cross comes from. One of the things that I really wanted to do, I love Cool Up and Cool Up are uh, a dance rattle. Um, cool Up actually means sea, depending on which island you come from. <laughs> um, and they are called different things in the different language groups. But for me, I made one when I was um, a young kid, and so it's actually displayed in here. Oh, beautiful. Um, I loved that we also had the cool-up of the late James Wright, who was one of the original plaintiffs in the uh, Murray Island versus Australia case, um, High Court case. And so once I found that we had that, I had to incorporate it in some way of showing all the different versions that exist of cool-up. But also, it's a bit of a timeline too. So you've kind of got the Islander timeline up the top, which talks about our history and the way we see our history and then you've got the Western context chronological timeline oh, underneath along the bottom yes. um, to give you more information about what we're talking about. So there's a lot of history here that I think people wouldn't understand As I was talking earlier about the Saibai Islanders being forced to move to the mainland, we actually have that in here where they moved in 1947 after a tidal surge. First climate migrants, (laughs) yeah. And where they ended up, but also things like when we were annexed and we were claimed by Queensland through to parts of the Act, and when that started to come into play for Torres Strait Islanders, to the great maritime strike in the pearling industry, you know, which really changed a lot of things. And it really did open the way to, I guess, the formation of, of, of the modern council structure from that fight to serving in the Torres Strait Light Infantry Battalion in World War Two, to also going on strike for better pay and conditions. And, mm, I mean,
0: purling was incredibly dangerous, was it? I
1: it mean, was, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, making change in the army against discriminatory practices by, you know, taking that stand to things like that we are, we still hold the world record for the fastest laying of track in Western Australia. And that was an island fettling group that did that, wow. um, but also an acknowledgement of my father worked on the railways and built a lot of railways <laughs> in Queensland, like most islanders that came looking for work. So, you know, it's an acknowledgement too, of that history that we have built a lot of the infrastructure that we are still using today to, again, the side-by-story coming back in again now and the Border No Change campaign when the Australian government tried to change the international border and wanted to kind of give some islands (laughs) away to PNG. And so um, what came out of that, obviously, was where we get the treaty, the international treaty signed, where we still have traditional trade between the Torres Strait and Papua New Guinea that still exists and that's allowed to, to happen, but it also got us recognised in a legislative uh, right as well of who we are and we had our traditional rights recognised because of that. So that was kind of one of the first times that that had happened as well. And then, you know, up until the Mabo case um, and that land rights decision uh, to, you know, we're named in three asteroids now, you know. Oh, really? um, Great. I did not know that. To um, the uncovering of one of the um, sort of oldest banana plantations on one of the islands that was found recently that they believe is sort of one of the oldest in the southern hemisphere to things like traditional adoption which have just been passed in Queensland law and Australian law so it's the first time even internationally that um, traditional adoption and child rearing practices have been acknowledged in that way. And really officially recognised that is incredibly significant. Yeah and I mean that's recent history, that is 2020 history right there. That's fantastic. To you know exactly what's happening now and it probably needs another dot on here after what's happened more recently mm. but looking at rising seas and the Torres Strait 8 taking the Australian government to the UN for i guess Lack of accountability around climate change and keeping them safe from what is happening, and of course now we've just seen two other islands suing the government. So it's a completely different case to the Torres Strait Eight case, which is still going through the UN at the moment. So um, this is probably one part that's going to change at some point. Oh,
0: but it's it just shows how timely it is too, with Glasgow. Yeah, some, I mean, it's just it's like it's all coming together. It's very interesting. Yeah,
1: and I think that's the thing is that we've always had these points of resistance and resilience. But many people don't know about that. They don't know what we fought for. They don't really understand who we are, where we come from. And so I think these points, you know, when I saw that news item the other day of the fact that these two islands are suing the government, I kind of said, well, if you know our history, this is no surprise to me (laughs) because that's who we are. That's what we do. That's what our forefathers did, you know, when they saw something wasn't right. They didn't sit back. They took it. (laughs) They took it on board and they tried to make change. And these are the points where they have made change, you know, and where others have helped to make that change too. That
0: real sense of social justice seems quite strong. Oh, oh yeah.
1: yes. And, the and then we sort of come round to just some of the contemporary dance items um, and some of the beautiful uh, beaded necklaces and shell necklaces that we have in the collection. And a lot of these came from the Townsville Museum, which is part of the Queensland Museum Network. And you see things like they've got combs. That headband was donated by local... Um, a local Torres Strait Islander family and they were quite happy for us to put that on display which was really lovely and we've got a piece obviously which is on loan actually from the Queensland Art Gallery which is from Uncle Ken Byday and it's this beautiful piece that's made out of black bamboo which is Found quite, it's quite common on Mer and so it's this beautiful piece of the hammerhead shark, and again, a, a bit of a, a dance machine because he's well known for making dance machines and headdresses that have moving parts. Oh, beautiful! Um, and his work is obviously found all the way around the world as well. Um, but it was lovely that we could get that piece from the, um, the Queensland Art Gallery. And then this is kind of where we come into the work of Margaret Harvey and her other half, Des, who put this beautiful piece together and Margaret worked with some of her old people um, having a, that By bloodline and really wanted to talk about uh, that movement of people away from Saibai um, rising seas what is coming and I think what I love about this is you get to hear language in this space too which I also love with Murray's pieces as well I think people hearing some of that language and hearing some of those songs is really important and so it's great to see uncle jeffrey wire Anabawaya here talking, and you know he's one of the cultural knowledge holders of this story that um, Margaret really wanted to tell. Margaret and Des really wanted to tell, and so it's just yeah, it's a beautiful piece, and I'm so lucky that we got it because Margaret's in Melbourne, and that also made it kind of um, oh, this year yes, a little I mean... bit difficult. But she managed to get up here to see the space before it was built, um, and they managed to actually get here for the opening, which was fantastic because not long after the opening, then Queensland went into another lockdown. so
0: Just one of the uh, many COVID uh, hurdles that you overcame right from the outset, really, Rihanna, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: and, you know creating this exhibition in a park at West End. Because it's the only place you could meet during COVID. It was, and it wasn't until sort of five months later that we got to come in and see the collection and be in the building. And so I think if we hadn't done a lot of that work, both Imelda and I have agreed that we're not sure where we would have been by June this year when we had to open. And so I think it really fit for thinking about the exhibition because we were outside, we were near water, kind of just had things that came to us um, that we knew that we had to do in certain ways. And so I think it was it was how it was meant to be too. Um, and I think it would have been a very different exhibition had we been in a building for that entire time trying to develop it. And then as you come through Margaret's piece, we have the Torres Strait Eight and a bit about their story about their landmark human rights complaint that they've put in.
0: Oh, about and the so rising
1: seas again, yes? Yes, and you can see their faces and know who they are. We've got a ghost net shark, which was created by Arab arts. And, you know, ghost nets are a massive problem in the top end of Australia. Um, They're becoming more so of a problem. There's apparently been more that have been found in oceans. They've kind of increased during the pandemic. But what people might not realise is that there are, you know, six of the seven marine turtle species you know feed and nest in the Torres Strait or in the top end or in Australian waters and so it's really important to understand what ghost nets mean in that context for the environment and so there's a little sort of bit of a nod to that too but then we kind of have this water bender which is a piece created by uh, Dylan Mooney and he's an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander and South Sea um, Island man and Um, Based in Brisbane, and he did this piece in conjunction with the Torres Strait Aid and the Our Islands, Our Home campaign. But I just loved that it was this idea that we could change what is about to happen. Um, But I've always loved that. And then I worked with some of the uh, Torres Strait Islander boarders at St. Margaret's Anglican Girls' College uh, to come up with some words of just who they are and what their hopes for their own future were. And so there's their handwriting and their words on this wall, too, and they got to come in and see their work um, because it was, it, we opened just as school holidays were starting, and so when they came back to school from going back home. They got to see their work, um, and so that was really lovely. But there's also words from some of um, the old people who helped me um, from a cultural advice perspective with some of the items in here when I needed to have more understanding or understand what I could and couldn't do. Um, So I asked them to put their words on this wall as well as a way of kind of having a bit of an intergenerational conversation too of, of what their hopes were for the next generation of young people.
0: Well Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us on Streets of Your Town. For our listeners around the world, just to explain the significance of this culture that has this ongoing history in Australia that's been unrecognised for so long, and hopefully this really will go some way to helping people understand this amazing culture on our doorstep.
1: Yeah, I hope it gives people a bit more of a glimpse into who we are, what we've done, and just what our connections are and how we connect with home and what we call home. But I guess what our our concerns are for the future too and those things that are really going to have an impact on who we are and that connection to country, that connection to Ireland because I guess it's that whole question, I mean, how do you have a connection to an island that could be underwater or not even exist soon? And I think that's something that we very much know could be the future. So I think it's it's nice to just kind of see where we've been, but to always remember that we are still connected to those old ways and how we take that on board and you know, what is the legacy that we leave for those coming behind us and how do we support that next generation? And-
0: taking your story
1: to to tell it I mean yes
0: anthropologists have been but actually to put it in your own words and to curate it your own way, that must be incredibly significant
1: Yeah, and look, I you know, I make it very clear that I'm coming at this as a mainland Torres Strait Islander, it's mm-hmm. my perspective I don't know everything that's why I've called on some of the old people that I have access to mm. down here to help me with some of that, my dad was heavily involved as well in giving me guidance um, you know, as a woman this isn't not sort of the, the work that I culturally do, um, and sh- or should be doing too, so I was really aware of that and doing it properly and trying to be as respectful acknowledging protocols working with protocols where I could and hoping that I've got that right and it's I don't know because sometimes it's really hard I think sometimes to explain who you are in your own words.
0: Well congratulations it's a fantastic exhibit and I can only encourage people to come and see it before April 2022. That was Island Futures co-curator Rihanna Patrick walking us through her exhibition at the Queensland Museum for this episode of Streets of Your Town. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. If you'd like to meet more everyday incredible Australians, subscribe and listen to the back catalogue of Streets of Your Town, including Series 2, The Journo Project, on Apple Music, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please review and rate Streets of Your Town on your podcast provider, share the show with your mates or join my wandering Journo tribe of supporters at the Streets of Your Town website s o y t